Section 39 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 9. Part 5. On June 1, Prussia declared to the Assembly of the Bund that she would at once disarm if Austria and Saxony set the example. Against that came a direct accusation from Vienna that Prussia had for a long time been planning, in concert with Italy, an attack on Austria, and on that account the latter now desired to call the whole Bund to arms, in order to request it to undertake the decision of the case of the duchies. She desired at that same time to call the estates of Holstein to cooperate. Against this declaration, Prussia lodged a protest, inasmuch as it overturned the Gastein Treaty. That being so, the position reverted to the Vienna Treaty, that is, to the common condominium. The consequence was that Prussia had also the right to occupy Holstein, as on her side, Austria was permitted to occupy Schleswig, and the Prussians at once moved into Holstein. Goblins withdrew without sword drawn, but under protest. Bismarck had previously said in a circular letter we have found no disposition at all to meet us at Vienna. On the contrary, expressions have fallen from Austrian statesmen and counselors of the emperor, which have reached the ear of the king from authentic sources, trich trash, and which prove that the ministers wish for war at any price, to wish for public slaughter. What a fearful accusation. Partly because they hope for success in the field, partly to get free of internal difficulties and to eke out their own shattered finances by contributions from Prussia. Statecraft. The press was now completely warlike, and, of course, as the patriotic custom is, sure of victory. The possibility of defeat must be entirely left out of view by every loyal subject whom his prince summons to the battle. Numerous leading articles pictured Benedict's entry into Berlin and also the sack of that city by the Croats. Some even recommended to raise the capital of Prussia to the ground. Sack! Raise to the ground! Ride over spurs in blood! These are the expressions which do not indeed any longer express the popular conception in modern times of what is right. But they have since the days of our school studies of the ancient histories of war, been always clinging to the people, and they have been so often recited in the histories of battles learned by heart, so often written down in our essays in German, that if a man has to write an article on the subject of war in a newspaper, such expressions drop from his pen spontaneously. Contempt for the enemy cannot be too strongly expressed, for the Prussian troops— the Vienna newspapers had no other term than the tailors. Adjutant General Count Gruner expressed himself thus, We shall chase off these Prussians with a flea in their ear. That is the kind of way to make a war quite popular. That sort of thing strengthens the national confidence. June 11. Austria proposes that the Bund shall take action against Prussia's helping herself in Holstein and mobilize the whole army of the Bund. On June 14th, this proposition is put to vote, and by nine votes to six, accepted. Oh, those three votes. 
how much grief and how much shrieks of pain have made groaning echo to those three votes. It is done. The ambassadors have received their dismissal. On the 16th, the Bund requested Austria and Bavaria to go to the assistance of the Hanoverians and Saxons, who were already attacked by Prussia. On the 18th, the Prussian War Manifesto appeared, and at the same time the Manifesto of the Emperor of Austria to his people, and the proclamation of Benedict to his troops. On the 22nd, Prince Frederick Charles published his orders to his army, and thus commenced the war. I copied the four original documents at the time. Here they are. King William says, Austria will not forget that her princes were once the rulers of Germany, and will not regard modern Prussia as a co-partner, but only as a hostile rival. Prussia, it is held, must be opposed in all her efforts, because whatever profits Prussia injures Austria. The old unblessed jealousy has again burst out into a fierce flame. Prussia is to be weakened, destroyed, disinherited. With her, no treaties are to be any longer in force. Wherever we look in Germany, we are surrounded by foes. And their war cry is humiliation for Prussia. Up to the last moment I have sought for and kept open the way to a friendly solution, Austria refused. On the other hand, the Emperor Francis Joseph expresses himself thus. The latest events prove incontestably that Prussia is now setting open force in the place of right. Thus has the most impious of wars, a war of Germans against Germans, become inevitable. The answer for all the misery it will bring on individuals, families, neighbors, and districts, I summon those who have brought it about before the judgment seat of history, and of the eternal and almighty God. The opposite party is always the one that wishes for war. The opposite party are always charged with setting up force in the place of right. Why then is it anyhow possible, consistently with public law, that this can happen? An impious war. Because it is one of Germans against Germans. Quite true. The point of view is a higher one, which, beyond Prussia and Austria, raises the wider conception of Germany but take one step more, and we shall reach that still higher unity in the light of which every war, men against men, especially civilized men against civilized, will necessarily appear in impious fratricide, and to summon before the judgment seat of history. What is the use of that? History, as it has been managed hitherto, has never pronounced any other judgment than a worship of success. When anyone comes out of a war as conqueror, the guild of historic scribblers fall in the dust before him and praise him as the fulfiller of his mission of educative culture and before the judgment seat of Almighty God. Yes, but is not this he who is represented as the producer of the fights? Is not the same almighty irresistible will equally concerned with the outbreak as with the course of the war? Oh, contradiction on contradiction, and this is what must certainly take place always, whenever the truth is hidden under hypocritical phrases, when an attempt is made to hold equally holy two principles, which are mutually destructive, such as war and justice, or national hatred and humanity, or the God of love and the God of battles. 
And Benedict says, We are standing opposed to a war power which is composed of two halves, line and landwehr. The first is formed exclusively of young fellows who are not accustomed either to fatigue or privation, who have never taken part in any considerable campaign. The second consists of untrustworthy, discontented elements, who would like better to overthrow their own government, which they disliked, than to have to fight us. The enemy has also, in consequence of the long period of peace, not a solitary general who has had the opportunity of educating himself on the field of battle. Veterans of Mincio and Palestro, you will, I think, count it as a special point of honor, acting under your old and tried leaders, not to yield to such antagonists even the smallest advantage. The enemy has for a long time been pluming himself upon his quick-firing needle-gun, but I think, my men, that will not do him much good. We shall most likely leave him no time for that, but charge him home at once, with a bayonet and the butt. As soon as, with God's help, the enemy has been beaten and compelled to retreat, we shall follow on his traces, and you will rest from your toils in the foeman's country and demand, in the amplest measure, those refreshments which a victorious army will have fully merited. Finally, Prince Frederick Charles says, Soldiers, the faith in covenant-breaking Austria has now for some time, without any declaration of war, disregarded the frontiers of Prussia in Upper Silesia, so I might have equally considered myself entitled to cross the Bohemian frontier without any declaration of war. But I have not done so. Today I have forwarded a regular declaration of war, and today we tread the territory of our enemies in order to protect our own country. May our commencement have God's sanction. Is this the same God with whose help Benedict promised to strike down the enemy? Let us rest our cause in his hands, who guides the heart of men, who decides the fate of nations and the result of battles, as it is written in the scriptures. Let your hearts beat for God, and your hands strike the foe. In this war, as you know, Prussia's dearest interests, nay, the continued existence of our beloved Prussia, are in question. The enemy avows in the most open manner to wish to dismember and humiliate her. Shall then the rivers of blood which your fathers and mine poured out under Frederick the Great, and that which we lately poured out in Dupel and Alsen, have been poured out in vain? Never. We will maintain Prussia as she is, and make her stronger and more powerful by victory. We will show ourselves worthy of our fathers. We rely on the God of our fathers that he will be gracious to us, and bless the arms of Prussia. So now, forward with our old battle cry, with God, for king and fatherland. Long live the king. End of chapter 9. End of section 39.